Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Imperfection Wins Show. I'm your host, Sam Willing, and I'm so glad you're here. We've got a great show planned for you today. I have special guest, Bella Chafee, um, here with me today, and it's going to be a really great conversation. And for those of you that are just turning tuning into Imperfection Wins for the first time, let me just tell you a little bit about the show, because this is um, a brand new show. So this is a show where everyone belongs. The point of it is to spread a message of encouragement, grace, and authenticity, and hopefully add a little light to your day. So whether you're on your commute to work, staying home with your kids, a student, a parent, a grandparent, whatever, wherever, there's a place for you here. And each week, I'll be interviewing entrepreneurs, business experts, psychologists, executive coaches, authors, and just overall amazing humans. And the conversations will vary around things like self-care, resilience, self-compassion, imposter syndrome, emotional intelligence, leadership, the whole gamut. And hopefully this show might just give you the nudge you need to explore what you really want, what holds you back, and maybe even give you a few tools on how to move forward. So today, I'm going to start with my heart-to-heart segment and then introduce you to my guest. And the heart-to-heart segment is always the start of every show. It's really just a time for me to share, maybe give some updates, share what's on my heart and mind, maybe drop some food for thought for you all, some things I've been ruminating on for the last week. And Today, I want to revisit my guest briefly from last week. So I don't know how many of you heard the show last week, but I interviewed Shay Bearfield, and it was such an awesome conversation. She is a total dynamo and superwoman, and I'm sure those of you that listened could just feel her energy through the phone. She's in North Carolina, so it was my first phone interview. Um, And at the end, I always ask for my guest to share their favorite quote, And the one she shared, honestly, has had my wheels spinning since then for the last few days. And we got to it at the end, so we had a little time for discussion. But I wanted to share it again this morning because it's so impactful and relevant, especially at the start of this new year, this new decade. Um, So I'm going to read it again this morning, and I don't have it memorized like Shay did, so bear with me. But here we go. It's not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. So that was originally from Teddy Roosevelt in 1907. And then Brene Brown included it in her book, Daring Greatly, which is just an incredible read, if any of you haven't read it yet. So this quote to me is sort of a world rocker and so relevant for anyone out there just trying something new or just working hard to make it happen and saying no to fear, taking risks. And I've had interesting experiences with some of this over the last year because I've done a lot of things that are very new to me. Um, And I really am, you know, I've talked in in past shows about how really in my past, I kind of like to keep myself contained. 
you know, and not make anyone uncomfortable and not ruffle feathers and be sort of anonymous. Um, and that's uh, really not that possible anymore because I'm, I had a podcast and now I'm on the radio. So here I am, world. <laughs> um, so one of the things I've noticed, and I'm wondering, I hear from a lot of other women that they've noticed this too, is that when you start to change or take on something new, people tend to get uncomfortable. And it sometimes becomes easy for them to criticize or judge It's hard, you know, when you put yourself out there and embrace growth and change, you sometimes open yourself up to that criticism and judgment. But here's the truth, and here's what I'm saying to you at the same time I'm saying it to myself. People aren't always going to understand your work. They're not always going to understand your change or your growth or your decisions, and you're not always going to have approval from everyone. I mean, we sort of already know that. But guess what I'm realizing? The lack of support, the criticism, the judgment, I'm finding that it tends to be rooted in one of two things, at least in my experience. Either they're uncomfortable with your growth and change because of something lacking in their own life and their own discomfort, or they're uncomfortable with your growth and change because they love you so intensely and they're scared of you failing, falling on your face. Either way, I have had to really coach myself and remember, either way, it's not about me. It's about them. And it's not that helpful. And the truth is, I'm not afraid. I'm working really hard to say no to fear. And so I'm okay. But here is one thing that I've really intentionally tried to do through this journey for me. Surround myself with people who lift me up. And I would say that to you. Surround yourself with people who lift you up, people who accept you and embrace your growth, your change, your differences, your gifts, and be really careful about who you let speak into your life. Pay attention to who and what and how you're giving your energy away. We've talked about this over the past couple of shows. And one of the ways I think about it is even in relationships in life, right? So who you're giving your energy to. If you find yourself in a relationship or situation that leaves you tired, anxious, or with a worn out heart, and that's a pretty consistent feeling for you, you probably need to make a shift or reevaluate that relationship. I have this rule that I've had over the past several years in my life about relationships. I only want to hang out with people that make me better or at least leave me the same as when they found me not worse. And Shay read that quote and I thought, gosh, that couldn't be used at a better time. It's the beginning of a new year, a new decade. For many of us, it's a year of new challenge and adventure. So let's silence the critics. Let's encourage each other. I mean, go do that thing you've been dreaming of. Don't worry about what people think. Be willing to be a beginner. Take a risk change, grow, and just enjoy the ride of this beautiful life. And remember, I'm telling you all this because I need to hear it myself. In the first show, I talked about how a lot of times I podcast on things I need to hear. So don't worry. I'm not pretend. I am a beginner. I'm not pretending I know everything. And I need this advice just as much as everyone else needs this advice. 
And if you're looking for a tribe of encouraging women, you should check out my Imperfection Wins Insider Facebook group. We'd love to have you. It's a growing group of women who are just coming together to encourage each other, share their journeys, um, and you should check it out. Okay, so today we are going to do a show around compassion. And I love talking about compassion. It's one of my very favorite things to talk about. And I think it's something we need much more of in this world. And I've been doing this show now for over a year. And one of the best parts is meeting so many amazing people. And one thing I started to realize as I sort of reflected back throughout my work and my life, there's definitely a theme of compassion. Every guest that I have had on the show has a large amount of compassion for others and also seems to be able to practice self-compassion. So last week, Shay shared her amazing story of how, you know, unexpected compassion came in for her husband when, and her when he was going through kidney failure. Her clients, she's a real estate agent for those of you that missed it, so her clients And even some random people offered to get tested to find out if they were a match for her husband without knowing him at all, and in some cases, barely knowing her. And she said this great thing during the show, which was, when people are seen and heard, they do extraordinary things. And she spoke to us about her mission in life and work to make people feel seen and heard, which... The way that I hear that is really a very compassionate way of interacting with others, right? So I actually believe that her style, her compassionate leadership style, is really what led her clients to feel incredibly connected to her without even knowing her intimately. And it led to them wanting to help her. And she's just an awesome example of practicing compassion in our day-to-day and how it really can um, change the way that people interact with you. So, and then, you know, most of you know now the story around the imperfect hearts that I hand out that are made by my friend Gary. And that entire story is really an example of how one small act of compassion can have a huge ripple effect. I mean, Gary's life is completely changing because of these small hearts and these, I mean, seemingly small really not valuable objects are actually releasing a tidal wave of compassion across the country. We've given out and sold over 500 now, and the orders just keep pouring in, even some to Australia. So really, it started with just one simple act of compassion from one human heart to another. So I want to talk briefly about what compassion actually is. I think it's something that sometimes can be misunderstood. And I've done a ton of reading on compassion over the last year. And so let me just share with you a few of the things I learned. First of all, compassion is different than sympathy and empathy. So sympathy is feeling bad for someone. And empathy is feeling bad with someone. And compassion is feeling bad with someone, but then taking action to ease their pain. There's action in it. And, you know, it's interesting because empathy has become such a buzzword over the last few years. I mean, we all know at this point we should be practicing empathy. Even my teenage son came home the other day and said in his high school psychology class that he had to take an empathy test that rated his empathy, which is a whole other subject we can do a show about later. 
But the point to me is that the word compassion hasn't gotten enough attention. And I wonder if some people find it to be too soft and squishy. And I actually think that compassion is the new buzzword. And I do hope it's more than a trend because I think it's a game changer. So let me tell you about some of the interesting things I've learned around this. You actually can build it over time. Same with empathy. You can get better at it with practice, which is such great news. Other research behind compassion reports that countless studies have linked compassion to lower rates of anxiety, depression, and stress, higher rates of happiness and improved immune function. Scientists have found that acts of compassion and kindness lead to a ripple effect of more compassion and kindness. You know, I've experienced this firsthand working with Gary. Every compassionate action that's extended to him is then met with a compassionate action from him to someone else. It's amazing. And I've just learned that I think acting with compassion actually changes how we interact with the world and also changes the way the world interacts with us. And I think there are two really challenging things about practicing compassion. One, the action part. Because so many times we get the nudge to do something for someone else and then we talk ourselves out of it. We hesitate. We don't want to take, make them uncomfortable. We don't want to make ourselves uncomfortable. So many reasons. And then we just never get out of that empathy space and into compassion. And two, practicing self-compassion can be really hard, especially in this judgmental society we're living in, frankly. Did you know that if you're not able to practice self-compassion... It's really hard to show compassion to others. A few months ago, I actually did a show on my podcast on Your Inner Mean Girl with Coach Jenny McAllen, and we talked about how to practice more self-compassion and shut out that inner mean girl voice that is filled with self-doubt and criticism. And let me tell you, if you contain that beast, that is an act of self-compassion. And that's sort of the point of my brand, Imperfection Wins. If you can be compassionate to yourself, even in the midst of your imperfections, you will feel so much better. I often think for myself of the word gentleness. I want to be gentle with others, which also means I need to be practicing gentleness with myself and giving myself grace. And I have to say, since I've been focusing on this over the last couple of years, I really think I have more energy more positive feelings day to day, and I dare say, I think I'm more productive. So here's your food for thought for today. What opportunities to show compassion are you missing in your life right now? Could, could compassion change your marriage, your friendships, your work, or your business? Or how about someone's life who just desperately needs to be seen? Or maybe you need to show compassion to yourself. Are you holding on to self-judgments and insecurities that you just need to let go of? Remember last week when I told you the rock story? Just put those self-imposed yucky things on a rock and throw it into the ocean or a lake or just the garbage. Just get rid of them. I mean, the point is we can change someone's life every day with compassion, especially our own lives. Just don't forget that compassion is not just a feeling. It's an action. So the next time you get a little nudge to do something compassionate for someone else or yourself, don't think about it too much. Just go do it. Okay, we are going to take a short break, 
And when we come back, I'm going to introduce you to Bella Chafee, a woman who plants seeds of compassion through her life and her work through some really amazing action. You're going to love her. We'll be right back. You're listening to Sam Willing on the Imperfection Wins Show, KKNW 1150. This show is sponsored by Urban Restoration, the Eastside's premier builder for remodeling, new construction, and so much more. With over 20 years of experience, the team at Urban Restoration has built a foundation of integrity, trust, superior craftsmanship, and personal accountability to clients. Whether you're building a new home, doing a total home remodel, or even a small project, the experienced team at Urban Restoration will walk you through the process and leave you with the results you desire. Client satisfaction and relationships rule at Urban Restoration. If you are located on the Greater East Side and looking for a contractor you can trust, visit the Urban Restoration website at ur-build.com. That's the letter U, the letter R-build.com for contact information and to check out pictures of their amazing craftsmanship. Again, that's the letter U, the letter R-build.com for Urban Restoration. Welcome back to the Imperfection Wind Show. I'm your host, Sam Willing, and I'm here today with Bella Chafee, founder of Alexander's Hope, a nonprofit in the Seattle area. Welcome, Bella. I'm so happy to have you here. It's so great. And I um, really would love for you to start by just telling our listeners a little bit about you and what you do. So I, as Sam said, I am the founder of a nonprofit called Alexander's Hope. We're going to touch on that a little bit later, but it is um, like my purpose in life and my driving force behind everything. Other than that, I am a real estate agent at Windermere and I, for fun, I'm a big long distance runner, hiker, and then just obsessed with my little dog, Toby. (laughs) (laughs) If you do not yet follow Bella on Instagram, you should, because the videos and pictures of her dog are seriously so heartwarming and so cute. Bella, how can they follow you on Instagram if they want to see that? So my Instagram is just Bella Chafee. Very easy. Um, you should be able to find it. There's plenty of pictures of Toby. Yeah. So it's so it. <laughs> cute. I love. I feel like he's your little mascot. It's oh, so awesome. Oh, he is. Like he's my little child. Like oh. he's <laughs> he's so cute and a good sport too. Oh yes. Oh well, I'm so excited to have Bella here today, and I just have to tell a little bit, everybody, we, we're here primarily to talk about Alexander's Hope because, as Bella mentioned, it is her passion in life. And the story behind why she started it is really amazing um, and hard. And so I can't wait for you all to hear that. But before we jump in, I want everyone to know something about Bella. And Bella, I don't want to put you on the spot or embarrass you, but I So I've known Bella for years, um, probably more from a distance because I've known Bella's mom for years and she's one of my favorite people. Um, but one of my first memories of Bella is actually when she was about 12 years old and her and her mom went to Africa and they went on um, a service trip. And I remember her mom coming back and talking about how much Bella loved it and couldn't wait to go back. And so over the years, I got updates on Bella and sort of followed her journey. And um, Bella, you went back to Africa like five times, right? Yeah, five times. And I was always struck by your heart to serve. 
and just your compassion for other people. And to be honest, I had always wanted to travel like that. I wanted that service and that experience to be part of my family. Um, But I was scared. I mean, I'm not really a traveler. And I was really anxious about it. But I don't know if you know this, but you were such an example, even just being so young to me with your courage. And so we actually, you were actually the catalyst for our family to go on a service trip. We went to the Dominican Republic and it was so amazing. It was completely life-changing. We saw um, poverty like we'd never seen before, but we also saw joyfulness and it was just really special. And so I just have to, I want to make sure everybody knows like this woman is um, she is like a warrior, like a heart warrior, and I love it. And that's what I think makes your mission of Alexander's Hope even so much more meaningful because I think a lot of your life experiences have sort of led you to this. So thank you for being here. Before we talk about Alexander's Hope, will you just talk a little bit about service? And has that always been something that's important to you? Or where where does that heart come from in you? Yeah, so service, as you mentioned, it started when I was 12 years old. That is when I had my first trip to Uganda, Africa. And we went originally because a family friend had started a school there and I went up to my mom and I was like, mom, like, I want to go. And of course, it was a scary thing to go so far away. And especially since I was so young. Um, But she she was on board. (laughs) So we went with a big group, some family friends, some uh, kids from my school. And there's a big group of us. We went down and kind of what you mentioned with your trip, we saw poverty in a way we had never seen before, Mm -hmm. yet through all the poverty and the hurt and everything else that was there, there was more joyfulness than I've ever seen anywhere. Yeah. And it just didn't, almost didn't make sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And that trip taught me so much and really opened my heart to service. And I'm sure I took more away from my trips to Uganda than I gave when I was there. But that's really what started everything in the nonprofit world for me. I think it's so when you were saying, you know, I took more than I gave when I was there, I totally relate to that. And it was interesting because when our family was preparing to go, um, we, of course, had like all of these ideas about what we were going to do there. We're like, we're going to help build houses and we're going to make such a difference for the people down there. And I'll never forget one of our leaders Um, that had been there, you know, many, many times, said to us, you know, I just want you to remember, like, the only these trips are amazing experiences. And you will go down and you will make an impact for the people that you meet, you'll you'll bring them some happiness, you they'll remember you, they love it when American Americans come down. Um, The only time that people really struggle on the trips is if they go down with this like preconceived notion that they're going to go down and make all these big changes. And he looked at me and I'll never forget it. He said, the whole point of the trip is like, yes, you will change. You'll have an impact for these people, but it's actually about you changing. Like it's actually about you going because when you leave the Dominican, their lives are going to go back to normal. They're going to be largely the same. And they'll remember you, but you're not necessarily going to change their lives. 
the how you change lives is by coming back different and then changing lives around you, right? And so I will never forget that because that was completely – I had never thought about that before. And it turns out it was completely true. I mean, we – we changed, like our hearts expanded, our hearts changed as, as a result of those trips. So tell me, do you think that that experience um, helped you, like you said, it opened your eyes to service and your heart to service. So do you feel like it helped you be more aware of people around you and, you know, when they're struggling and what their needs are? Yes, it made me so much more aware of everything. Mm-hmm. And then just set my life up for the trajectory that it went on. Yeah. And it definitely would not have been anywhere near the same if I had never been. Yeah. And I, like to my core, I know that. And I know that even though I haven't been back in a couple of years, and it's something that I was just talking to a friend the other day that I've been down with before, and we were like, we need to go back. Yeah. Like, we need to... We need to return because once you've, especially in the beginning, I was going like every year and then there was gaps where I couldn't go for a couple of years. Yeah. And then I had another long gap where I couldn't go for a couple of years. And every time um, we would go back, it was like, I felt like I was at home and my heart just felt so happy. I remember last time we landed in the airport, I looked around and I saw all like the green and the red roads and my heart was just so happy and it just taught me more than Um, I could ever express. Yeah, I love it. Well, I want to segue into your work with Alexander's Hope and um, and really launching into the nonprofit world. I mean, a world that like it's a it's fairly complicated and a pretty big feat to just like courageously dive into something that you haven't been involved with before. So we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about Alexander's Hope, what the mission is, and really focus on the story that led you to Alexander's Hope. So everyone will be back after this short break. And once again, you're listening to Sam Willing on the Imperfection Wins Show, KKNW 1150. Hey everybody, it's me, Sam. Many of you know that one of my greatest joys in life is handing out small, perfectly imperfect wooden hearts. That's right, I said perfectly imperfect. These are the words that came to mind when I held one of these handmade hearts in my hand for the first time. These beautifully crafted, imperfect hearts are made by my friend Gary. Fate brought us together, and ordering hearts from him and giving them to anyone who needs one has been a joyful part of my journey. The hearts serve as a physical reminder that things don't need to be perfect to be meaningful. Check out my website, samwilling.com forward slash imperfect hearts for the whole heart story, to place an order, or make a donation. 100% of the proceeds go towards the mission. Don't forget... That's samwilling.com. Welcome back to the Imperfection Wins Show. I'm your host, Sam Willing, and I'm here today with Bella Chafee, founder of Alexander's Hope, a nonprofit in the Seattle area. Bella, once again, I'm so happy to have you here. It makes my heart so happy. Um, And speaking of heart, would you just tell us about Alexander's Hope? What is it? What's the mission? So Alexander's Hope is a nonprofit that focuses on two major points. The first point is organ donation awareness. So we spread awareness of 
people needing organ transplants and encourage others to become organ donors. And we do this for everybody, but specifically wanting to target younger people. You're first making that decision to put that heart on your driver's license when you're 15 or 16 years old, Mm -hmm. which is really young. But a lot of times people aren't changing it afterwards. So focusing in on that generation. And then coupled with that, we do youth heart screenings. So we partner with a local nonprofit called the Nick of Time Foundation. And we go to local high schools about once a month and screen roughly 500 young hearts to test for undiagnosed heart conditions. So we do this through EKGs, if necessary, echocardiograms, and then teach every child that comes in CPR and how to operate an AED. That's amazing. And now I know, because I know you personally, I know that there is um, a really hard but amazing story that really this idea, this nonprofit of Alexander's Hope was born out of. Will you tell us just that story and, and why you decided to start this? Yes. So Alexander's Hope is very near and dear to my heart. It was started after my brother, Alexander. So when he was 19 years old, he started having really bad pain in his chest. It happened, it was finals week, his freshman year of high school, and he's sitting in his room, and he had this severe pain, and it got to the point where he couldn't walk down the stairs. His roommate called, he ended up at the hospital. There, he was diagnosed with panic attacks, and... It was seemed odd to us, but at the same time, you know, it was finals week, freshman year of college, and then after that it happened again, and then it happened for a third time when we were on a family hike in Utah. And that time was, it was worse than the others, and he didn't seem to recover quite as quickly. Mm. And we got home, and my mom just, she didn't feel good about it. It, you know, he had the symptoms of panic attacks. Everything was lining up in that manner. But my mom just she just had some intuition in her where she knew something else was wrong. Mm-hmm. So she brought him in, in again to get checked up. And it was that time where they found that he had been misdiagnosed and he actually had a bicuspid aortic valve. And that panic attack was a heart attack. Mm. And so we ended up that started this whirlwind of a month and we ended up at the hospital he needed a valve replacement but it you know fast forward a couple days his heart wasn't strong enough um to have a valve replacement and they ended up removing his heart put him on um well he was on ecmo then he got an artificial heart and then thankfully he we found him a heart and he got a heart transplant which was a miracle, and his survival was a miracle. Mm-hmm. He shouldn't—we didn't think he was going to survive for a long time, and we weren't sure if he was going to ever be the same again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this all happened when he was 19 years old, which seems, you know, it's, most people would say it's too young to have a heart attack. It's right. too young to need a heart transplant. And, Bella, had he— been seemingly healthy? I mean, other than what they thought were the panic attacks, was he seemingly healthy? Yeah. So other than the panic attacks, which were just, you know, a couple months leading up to this, um, the big event, he was completely healthy. You would never know that he was sick. You would have absolutely no idea. And we now know that is the case with almost every child that does Mm -hmm. suffer 
from heart issues, they what we like to tell people is you can't tell a child has a heart condition by looking at them, mm-hmm. which is so true because so many you know parents, they think, oh, I wouldn't know if my kid was sick. Right. And you don't. You really don't know. That's so. And so he had the heart transplant. And was it still sort of touch and go through the recovery? Was it a, a pretty long road? His recovery, once he got the heart transplant, um, it went a lot faster. But leading up to the heart transplant, when he had an artificial heart, which just, uh, you know, kind of a little bit on that, it's, you know, it's this artificial thing acting as a heart inside of your body and you don't have a real heart in there, which is a crazy concept. Mm -hmm. And you're connected to these giant machines and your quality of life. I mean, you're alive, which is the number one, but your quality of life is so low. And we were anticipating Alexander having that for months to years, Mm. which is a really scary thought, especially because it would take so long to get the transplant. Yes. Okay. There's not enough organs being donated. And that is, you know, the big thing. So once he was healthy enough to get on the transplant list, which was about a month after he got the artificial heart, we, you know, he got on the list. The doctors prepped us for a long road ahead of us. And somehow he got a heart in eight days. My gosh, that's, that is a miracle. That gives me chills. It was, wow. no one expected it um, at all. We were all blown away. The doctors were blown away. Remember when Alexander first told me I was living in California at the time and I was with him the whole entire time in the hospital. We're there all day, every day. And then finally, you know, he was stable. He was on his artificial heart and it was going to be months or years. So I had to fly back um, to California and finish up my business there. And I had just been back for a couple of days and Alexander called me and he told me that they or no, no, he first had texted me and he said, like, I got a heart. And I was like, OK, <laughs> like this is it's crazy. a very weird joke. But obviously you're not going to tell you you couldn't have gotten a heart this fast. and You're not right. going to tell me via text message. Right. So I call him immediately, just shaking. And I go, like, Alexander, are you serious? And then by the tone of his voice instantly. I knew he was serious, and I just started bawling, and I booked a flight home. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And so then he had the transplant right away. Yeah. Um, and how long ago was that? That was two years ago this past September. Okay. And so how's he doing now? He is doing great. Um, obviously, like, his life will never be the same with yeah. medications and all of that, but he's great. He is doing what he loves to do. He's hanging out with his friends and he's living a full, healthy life. That is so amazing. And so tell us how that, like, how did you think to start Alexander's Hope? Alexander's Hope, it really began when Alexander was still in the hospital during that period where he had the artificial heart. Because in Mm -hmm. the beginning, we weren't sure he was going to need the heart transplant Mm -hmm. and we were really hoping he wasn't going to need it. So we just didn't want our minds to go there. But once it became certain that it was something he was going to need, you know, we go home, I spend all day in the hospital, go home, be on my computer, looking up, you know, statistics on heart transplants and everything like that. And that's when it became so clear to me that there is such a need for more organs to be donated. And 
there's just such a big gap between the number of people that say they support organ donation mm. versus the number of people that are actually signed up to be an organ donor. That's so fascinating. And, because you're right. Yeah. I would never, when you said, you know, the first time you check that box is when you're 15 or 16, you're probably really not thinking about organ donation. Um, and then people probably don't think to change it because they're in a hurry to get their renewal, you know, their license renewed or whatever. Exactly. So no one, you know, people don't really like yeah. going to the DOL. They yeah. don't like renewing their licenses. And so it was when I saw that big discrepancy yeah. that I was like, something needs to be done about this. And I started talking to my parents and we were like, what if we started a nonprofit? And But I was like, at the time I had just finished college and I was finishing this like secondary schooling, had a couple months left of that. And there was just, I was like, there's no way, there's no way I could possibly start a nonprofit. I had been, so I knew I wanted to get into nonprofit work and I had been applying to jobs and I was like, I wasn't even getting a job. In right. The nonprofit field, <laughs> You're like, so, so I definitely can't start when. <laughs> exactly. And then I was just really lucky to meet some people that really believed in me mm-hmm. and that gave me the feeling and the, the confidence that, you know, I can do this. And I do have, I've been involved in nonprofit work since I was 12. That was all mm-hmm. my internships in college. That's actually what I studied in college. Yeah. And they're like, you can, you can actually do this. Like if anybody is set up to do this, it's you, which blew me away. And so and then I started looking into it more and figuring out the process and then figuring out, okay, so I know I want to focus on organ donation, but what else do we want to focus mm-hmm. on? And that's when one of my brother's doctors actually told me about youth heart screenings and going into high schools. And so we had this idea. We had met for months about doing these heart screenings in high schools, and we we're trying to figure out the logistics. Like, how do we do this? And it that is the point where I felt the most overwhelmed because I was like, can we do this? Like, I just don't know if this is ever going to happen. Right. And I felt really, like, excited but discouraged and just didn't quite know what was to it do. overwhelming like very, you just don't know where to start very overwhelming yeah. and then one day he was like i talked to another cardiologist and there's a nonprofit that does this i was like no way how did we not know this and then i reached out to them and a lot i at that point i'd reached out to a lot of organizations mm-hmm. just to learn more information and hearing back from people was I did not happen very often and they replied to me immediately and we set up a meeting and they are the kindest people I've ever met. And we started, they started working with me on, okay, what can I do? This is what I want Alexander's Hope to be. How can we make it that? And sent, they've helped build nonprofits in other states that wanted to do what they do, but they have different resources there, different hospitals right. and doctors. But for us, we were so close to them mm-hmm. that they're like, you know, we can help you set up a program just like ours. But then it didn't make sense. And we wanted to touch the most lives and the most many most people. Yeah. So we decided to partner with them. So we are now a program sponsor um, for the screenings. We're at every screening. And then I help with student outreach as well, which was just such a blessing and helped yes. us so much and helped Alexander's Hope grow and become what it is that's in such a short time frame. Yeah. 
And so you do the screenings primarily in high schools? Yes. Is that right? I've seen, I mean, a lot on social media. And actually, I know that even at my son's high school, when he was at the school he went to last year when he was a freshman, I think you all went there um, and did some screenings there for the kids and at my daughter's high school in Seattle. So I think it's amazing. And so from those screenings, have you, have there been any kids that you, you know, actually have been found to have heart issues that were undetected? So every school is, you know, a little bit different. But normally there is, normally per screening, we find five to six kids that have a wow. serious heart condition. And there's been over, I want to say, 170 kids throughout the time that Nick of Time has been doing this, which is a lot longer than us, that have needed open heart surgery, wow. which is crazy. And those are the lives that are, like, there's some lives that are, you know, they're going to monitor it for the rest of their lives and it yep. could very well have saved their life. But those 170 kids, yep. there's no doubt in my mind that their lives weren't saved wow. due to through the screening, through the screenings. And they work with follow-up to make sure the kids get the help that they need and that the kids can return to what they love. Yes. Because so many of these kids are athletes and just because you get you know, a heart transplant or open heart surgery or a valve replacement does not mean that you can't keep doing what you love, which is what scares some people to get screened. They, you know, they might be a big basketball player, football player, and they're like, well, I don't want to stop doing what I love. And this, the screenings do not stop you from doing what you love, maybe for a little bit to get you help. And then you're going to be right back at it. Right back at it. And you, there was a statistic that you had mentioned um, the last time I saw you speak, and it was about student athlete deaths. Um, will you, do you know that off the top of your head? Will you just tell everybody what that is? Because it's pretty impactful. Yes. So one high school age athlete suffers sudden cardiac arrest every three days in the United States. Oh, my gosh. I mean, that is amazing. That's a really, really big deal. Um, Well, I think the work that you're doing is amazing, and I want to talk a little bit more about how people can get involved. Um, We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we will dig into all of that good stuff. So everybody, we'll be right back. We're going to take a quick break. Once again, you're listening to Sam Willing on the Imperfection Wins Show, KKNW 1150. This show is sponsored by Urban Restoration, the Eastside's premier builder for remodeling, new construction, and so much more. With over 20 years of experience, the team at Urban Restoration has built a foundation of integrity, trust, superior craftsmanship, and personal accountability to clients. Whether you are building a new home, doing a total home remodel, or even a small project, the experienced team at Urban Restoration will walk you through the process and leave you with the results you desire. Client satisfaction and relationships rule at Urban Restoration. If you are located on the Greater East Side and looking for a contractor you can trust, visit the Urban Restoration website at ur-build.com. That's the letter U, the letter R-build.com for contact information and to check out pictures of their amazing craftsmanship. Again, that's the letter U, the letter R-build.com for Urban Restoration. Welcome back to the Imperfection Wins Show. I'm your host, Sam Willing, and we are back with Bella Chafee, founder of Alexander's Hope. And we're learning really amazing information and statistics about um, just caring for your heart and the importance of getting heart screenings and particularly our students, you know, the, the athletes and 
all students, but really for the most part, people that seem completely healthy on the outside that desperately need to get help and no one knows. And so Bella was talking about the work, some of the work that she's doing with Alexander's Hope to do screenings um, on high school campuses all over Seattle. And Bella, one question I had for you, is this really focused on um, the Seattle area? Is it, you know, all of Washington or how, where are you focused right now and how big are you, are you hoping to get? Right now, we're mostly focused in the greater Seattle area. So a lot of the heart screenings are done in Seattle, the east side, and even further out. And we are now trying to expand more towards eastern Washington and all over the state. Oh, great. But that is a process that is slowly growing. Yeah. Have there been any sort of, um, like, setbacks working just with – I always hear that the nonprofit world is sort of complicated. So has it been difficult for you to break into that world? Or do you feel like with your partnerships that you've been able to sort of, you know, do it seamlessly? Our partnership is – what made it a lot more seamless than it would have been. If mm-hmm. that were not the case, we would not be where we are right now at all. Yeah. And so in the beginning, and even now it is, we are a really new nonprofit and it is really hard getting started. But with our partnership, they've been around for so long that they were able to kind of you know lift us up and really help us along the way. Mm-hmm. That's so great. Well, I one of the things that I love just watching from the outside is, you know, I talk all the time in my podcast um, and tell myself all the time to just move forward and not be afraid to just move forward with confidence, even when I feel ill-equipped for the opportunity that's been put in front of me. This radio show is a perfect example of that. Um, And I'm always talking about that. And I really just watching you and hearing your story and watching you go from, you know, having feelings of, I can't start a nonprofit. I can't even get an interview at a nonprofit right now. I just got out of college. Like all of those sort of self-doubt feelings and moving through that um, into a space where you're just going, like you're doing it, you know, you're doing it, you're making a difference in lives. The work you're doing is saving lives. And I think it's just an amazing example of what I would love to see everyone do, which is, you know, when you feel the nudge to create something or start something or you see an unmet need to be able to just say, okay, well, why not me? Like, why not me? You know, and I just think you're living that out very publicly. And I think it's amazing. Well, thank you. And to anybody that is wanting to do something like that, just take it one step at a time. Yeah. For me, the hardest thing was I, I'm a big planner. So I'd go and I'd be like, well, <laughs> me too. Well, what do I need to do? Like yep. I have to do all these things and it's just so overwhelming. And then once you think about all these things you have to do, then it's like, I can't do it. Yeah. You know, and I realized, okay, I have never started a nonprofit before. I know what I'm doing, but I also have no idea what I'm doing. And just really taking it one step at a time and one day at a time and having goals, but maybe not focusing on the details quite as much because that will, they'll sort themselves out. Yeah. 
It's true. Like those are the that's when I get overwhelmed. And so I always tell people and and myself like sometimes you only get enough light to take the next step. And you just have to keep taking the next step, doing what's in front of you that day. And then eventually you look back and sort of go, oh, my gosh, look what I've done. Like, I am doing it. Like this nonprofit, you are doing it. And um, I think it's amazing. So how can people get involved? Will you talk about some of the different ways that people can get involved with Alexander's Hope? And also, I know you have a really fun event coming up. So will you just kind of give us the rundown? Yes. So getting involved with Alexander's Hope overall, a big part of that will be coming to the heart screenings. So again, we partner with Nick of Time for that. And you can go on either of our websites uh, to find out more about the heart screenings. So whether it be volunteering, which we normally have around 100, 125 volunteers, depending on the size of the event. But they volunteering there is truly eye-opening, and you get to see the process and how seamless it is done. You, you know, can never think that you could so easily get 500 high school students yes. in and out in a couple hours doing, you know, one to two different heart screenings per kid, yeah. learning CPR, how to operate an AED. And they do it, and these kids walk away with the knowledge of how to save somebody's life, what to do in that situation, and then also knowing that their heart is healthy or getting help if it's not, mm-hmm. which is really incredible. So I would highly recommend volunteering to anybody who's interested. Or if you have a child between the ages of 14 to 24, get them signed up. It's free to go in and get your heart screened. Um, we don't ask for uh, payment. There's optional donations, but we want everybody to be able to go in and get their heart screened, no matter the financial situation. So I would really encourage that. Mm, That's great. And then just to stay connected with us through our, um, you know, monthly emails and our social media for other events that are coming up. But one of our big events, which I am really excited about, is our 5K run walk that's happening on February 15th. So as I touched on very briefly in the beginning, I am a big runner. I do mostly long distance runs, but I like... All kinds. All kinds of runs are good for me. And ever since I was a small child, which this is probably a weird goal for a small child, <laughs> but I wanted to host my own run. Um, because when I was little, uh, I was doing you know shorter races. So it was like 5Ks or 10Ks or something like that every single weekend. And I just loved it. And I always wanted to host my own run. And I had for a while when I was a kid, I had a little box that was like change to start my own race. Oh my gosh. Which for like a dollar and 50 cents, it could not have been done, but <laughs> it was the goal. And so finally, you know, after Alexander's Hope began, and then I was looking for ways to spread awareness of Alexander's Hope and make it a name that people, at least right now in our community, are aware of. And then a race popped into my head and I was like, this has been my dream. Like, I love this we should do this. And so I got connected to the right people and we were able to start that process. We planned it in a shorter amount of time than they typically like, but I was like, I can do it. 
And it has been a lot of work. <laughs> they yeah. were not kidding <laughs> when they told me it was going to be a lot of work. Yes. And so that's going to be on February 15th. It's called Alexander's Hope Valentine's Day Dash. It's starting at Heritage Park in Kirkland. And then we're running along the Kirkland waterfront or walking. There's going to be coffee at the halfway point. If you're a walker and you're a little bit chilly, dogs are welcome. Toby will be there. <laughs> the mascot, Toby. <laughs> yes. There's going to be awesome giveaways and prizes. And so I would encourage you to sign up for the race or visit our website for ways to volunteer for the race. Mm -hmm. We're also looking for a lot of volunteers, like course monitors, to help with um, day of race registration and all of that. That is so awesome. And I love that you're actually bringing, it's like all your passions are like converging into when you've got like the running, you've got your passion of Alexander's Hope, You've got Toby. Yeah, <laughs> the whole one. <laughs> that's going to be a very happy day for you. Oh, that's fun. So I would just encourage all of you to consider turning out for the fun run. You do not have to be a runner, right? You can not be a all. walker. <laughs> it's Kirkland Waterfront. You can't get better than that. Um, and so, Bella, quickly before we end, how can people connect with you if they want to find out more about Alexander's Hope or just follow you for pictures of cute Toby on your Instagram? <laughs> So for Alexander's Hope, our website is alexandershope.org, and there you can find all of our volunteer opportunities, how to connect with us, and how to sign up for the race. We also have an Instagram account, which is alexanders underscore hope, and our website is linked to the Instagram and then a Facebook page as well. And to connect with me personally, my Instagram is Bella Chafee. And there you will see all about Alexander's Hope and Toby. <laughs> and you're also a realtor. I should I want to yes. throw that in for everybody because you and your dad have teamed up and are an amazing real estate team. Um, so you are a driven and ambitious lady and just a great um, example for all of us, like I said, in not being afraid and and following our passion and, and doing what our heart, pardon the pen, is um, <laughs> is calling us to do. So, Bella, we always end with a quote. Do you have a favorite you want to share? Yes, I do. So I think this quote really, um, it really resonates with me in my life, both professionally and really just in every aspect. It is, don't be put off by the difficulties you faced. Remember the reason why you started. And that quote is by Bob Goff. If you don't know who Bob Goff is, I think he is incredible and yeah, that's my quote. I love it. Thank you so much for being here with us today. And everybody, that is a wrap. I hope you have an awesome Monday. And if you are interested in getting more familiar with me, my mission, or my content, you can find my first season of Imperfection Wins on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts or on my website, samwilling.com. You can follow me on Instagram at imperfection.wins. So join me next week. We're going to have another fun and informative conversation. And until then, be kind, have courage, and give yourself and others grace. Have a great Monday.